Greetings, and welcome to Beatles Stuffology. We're two old friends sitting around to talk BS, Beatles stuff, on a track-by-track -track basis, pretty much for the sake of it. My name is JG McQuarrie, and I'm here with my co-host, Andrew Deacon. Say hi, Andrew. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing tickety-boo, actually. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, talking about one of Shiwadi Wadi's best ever songs today. Excellent. It's not often that you get to drop a Shawadi Wadi reference in a podcast at any time, far less one involved with the Beatles. But I'm afraid we must continue with our grand search through Beatles for Sale, uh, which means we reach one of many, many cover versions. And this time out, it's rock and roll music. So uh, time to engage with Mr. Berry. Um, yeah, what's your what's your thoughts on this one? I, I should caveat my my first comment by saying I don't actually know if Shawadi Wadi did a cover version of rock and roll music but i kind of think it's the sort of thing they might have done um, it's, it's their which, wheelhouse right yeah and and i think um a word that we use quite a lot and at the start of this mega run of of episodes was was context and and i suppose my context for hearing this song and being aware of chuck berries is very much me being a youngish child in the 1970s when on summertime special, you would get the likes of Shiwadi Wadi doing those great big hits of the the fifties in their their awful colourful suits, and and so I think my appreciation, and I think this is quite an important quite an important point, my appreciation of some of the rock and roll pioneers is clouded by Shiwadi Wadi, whereas of course. The Beatles and the audience in the early 60s appreciation of these rock and roll pioneers is a lot more immediate. immediate. So I reckon that the potentially the further you are from the original point of contact, the more chance that you might have a different view of just how great Mr. Tapes of Urination on people Chuck Berry uh, actually is. That's fair. Uh, a hasty bing informs me that Shawadi Wadi covered rock and roll music and released it on their album Trocadero in 1976. And I bet so, the B-side was Three Steps to Heaven, because the, the I, one thing I can always remember them playing is, I, I reckon <laughs> Three Steps to Heaven, they released every six months, because you know what? It's Shawadi Wadi. They, they may still be doing that. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah. can't be bothered, I can't be bothered to Google further and find out whether that's the case. Do you want to take a, a quick gamble on how many of the original members are, are still in, in Shawadi Wadi? I, I, I reckon they're probably down to one. Coming coming to a, a seafront pavilion near you soon. I, re I reckon the only original thing left in the entire band might be one blue suede shoe. That's probably all that's <laughs> left of them at this point. But anyway, yeah, so they, I mean, you're entirely correct. That This is exactly the kind of song that, that they would have covered. Um, and it's... It is. It's a popular old one on the old coverometer. I mean, there there are lots of different cover versions we can talk about, but I suppose we should probably talk about the Beatles version before we dive into those. Yeah. Okay. Go on then. Go go ahead. Um, because it fills an interesting point on on the album, doesn't it? In in that we've we've had a reasonably you know positive start of Lennon and McCartney songs, and almost as though the the momentum that might have been gained from you know the the initial part of the album um, we're now resorting to something that's a little bit more formulaic i think formulaic is not a bad word for it it's interesting because obviously this is a song that they did right up until 1966 so it's going to be hanging around for a long time but it's not 
I don't know. Maybe I, you're welcome to disagree with this, and I, I'm sure this isn't probably the general consensus. I don't think it's a terribly great cover version, truth be told. It's there's something a bit, um, something a bit desperate about the way that it sounds, I, and I think it comes a lot from from Ringo actually. Uh, there's there's a sense where. You know, it, it, the, the old rumours, or not rumours, sorry, the old the old mythology um, of, you know, oh, well, we couldn't hear ourselves play and Ringo's just trying to hang on to the beat so that he can keep everything together, all the rest of it. I think this is one of the songs, on, as far as album recordings go, where you can really hear that being the case because there's no invention at all. He's just hanging on the cymbal and a lot of that just sounds... I mean, really partly because of the recording technology at the time, but a lot of it basically just sounds like static almost. It's very shrill and it, it kind of, it doesn't add energy. In fact, if anything, I think it saps the energy from a lot of the recording. And, you know, Lennon's going for it in vocals and there's a whole bunch of other stuff we'll talk about. But I think ultimately that it one of the reasons this feels like it saps a bit of the momentum that's been built up uh, is, is that percussion. The, the, there's some inventiveness going on with... Um, no reply i'm a loser and babies in back and particularly because babies in black shifts into that kind of waltz time um it, it gives the album a bit of texture but here all that is just kind of flattened out into one kind of solid sort of wall of symbols and it it, it just it it leaves the record sounding a little bit kind of desperate a little bit kind of over enthusiastic like come on come on we're having fun this is terribly exciting this is terribly exciting but, you know ultimately it kind of isn't so maybe we're regressing into the um the type of cover versions because we are still talking about you know early days of rock and or roll um we're into the um the point where you are showing your influences i know it's something we've spoken about before you show your influences by playing songs by your favorite artists and you effectively replicate them um rather than add your own so I mean, we've seen them do this before on on you know lots of these covers they're not necessarily developing changing they're just adding their own personality to it and certainly john's personality comes across on it and that's that's fine um you know and, and we've seen it as well before with some covers early covers of beatles songs like for example on i feel fine where lots of the early covers in the first you know five ten years all had that introduction you know the the you know the picky guitar introduction because they felt that not that they had to do something particularly original, but that they were just doing their version of the recording. So, um, it, but you know, it's also one of those those songs, isn't it? That they're doing because they know it, and they can knock it out reasonably quickly because they're they're under pressure of a deadline. So I suppose they're probably not going to put in the amount of time, the number of takes that they would put into something that you know, again, they thought of as being their own and something that they wanted to present as extensions of themselves rather than extensions of their influences. And, you know, it's fine. It's fine. It's 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 an OK song. Um, um, it's not as legendary, I think, as, as some other Chuck Berry songs. Um, you know, but it's it's fine. It's fun. They get it done. It's out of the way. Um, but it really does halt the progress from Babies in Black into I'll Follow the Sun. It just seems like an odd choice of song and an odd position as well. Just just weird. But it's interesting to hear you um, um, be not so much critical, but slightly disappointed by Mr. Starr 
And considering you are normally an advocate of, um, of the expression, Ringo's doing really good work on this track, um, it's interesting, therefore, that you say that, because that just makes me go, right, perhaps I need to go back and have another listen to see what he is doing on this. Yeah, it's you know it, it's fair enough to uh, to criticize somebody when they're they're coming up short, and I, I do think that that's I think that is the influence of the live work. That's it. I, you know, this is a you know a knock it out and get it done. We know they're out of gas as far as the as far as the writing is concerned. Uh, they need something to fill up the album. They can turn to this, and they've been doing it long enough that they don't need to think twice about it. But ultimately, I think that's what undermines it because they're not thinking twice about it, and so they're just doing what they do on stage, but in the studio and. Unfortunately for Ringo, in this case, that means just hammering away in the symbols and and not sort of really giving much in the way of the texture. I mean, there's the little there's the shift when we go to you know Mambo and and Congo and all that kind of stuff in that verse. So you know the time signature shifts there, and there's a little bit of stuff, but it's still I don't know. It's relatively uninspired. And one of the things that I think really works against it as well is. Um, and I find myself having to uh, disagree with Ian McDonald on this one, um, which I'm <laughs> sure he'll be he'll be gutted by. But you know, it's um, you know he 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 says that you know uh, Lennon is going full throttle at the at the vocal, which he absolutely is, um, and that gives it an energy um, where uh, Chuck Berry's version has a little bit more. Uh, ambiguity to it but I think the I think the problem with that is is that this song benefits from having a little bit of ambiguity in it whereas Lennon's kind of full pelt vocal sort of, sort of flattens that it, it kind of smears it out so uh, I, I think the song that this actually bears the most comparison to is Twist and Shout. Twist and Shout really benefits from that and and, and the the original um, uh, version of Twist and Shout also is a little bit gentler, it's a little bit more subtle, but when Lennon throws himself at it, he really energizes it and brings something and draws something out of it that isn't there in the original. Whereas this one, it's, it's, it's not only the same approach, it's another song which is being recorded at the end of a long kind of eight hour studio session. So it's being recorded pretty much in exactly the same way as Twist and Shout, but where Twist and Shout was able to capture like the energy and enthusiasm and verve and spark of of what has now become a classic recording. This doesn't. It sounds knackered. Um, like everybody is trying so hard to put energy into it, but they just kind of everybody just kind of sounds exhausted on it, to be honest. And and Lennon's sort of full pelt vocal takes one of the few redeeming features of the song and kind of smears it out and. It just doesn't quite come together for me. It's a good vocal performance, but mm -hmm. it's not quite the right vocal performance for this song, I would say. Yeah, it strikes me that this is a song you can play too fast. And mm. actually, you probably don't want to. You probably want to slow it down slightly and actually then get a feel for, for the rhythm rather than, than rush it and, and kind of lose it. Um, there's something about the lyrics. I mean, this is let me think about how i can say this i mean this this it seems to be a song about the black experience or elements of the black experience and and i can't help but wonder if some of my um you know reluctance with this song is possibly because of that because it's you know another bunch of white boys singing it and you know there, there's a whole ton of a bunch of white boys who've covered this over the years because you know it's Chuck Berry and we need to show our appreciation of where the music comes from man and it's self-referential 
like Roll Over Beethoven and, you know, we've got rock and roll music. It's a song about this new thing. But, you know, it, it does make me feel slightly awkward when you you sort of think that, um, that you know, way down south they had a jubilee. Them Georgia folks, they had a jamboree. They're drinking homebrew from a wooden cup. The folks are dancing. They're all shook up. Is there something about that that doesn't sound quite right out of the mouths of oh, British people, I reckon? Well, I, also, I took my loved one over across the tracks and she can get her man a wailing sax. Yeah. That's a, yeah. that's that's the one that stands out for me because that's that's just there isn't really a sort of British equivalent of that. So it sounds, but you know, I you know I get it. You know, people weren't talking about that kind of thing in in nineteen sixty four. No, um, but, but that's where but, context but, is important again, isn't well, it? Well, absolutely, um, yes. I don't I don't think that was particularly bothering me in in the seventies. I think it was more just an aversion to shawadi wadi. And I just can see how many times I can say that word during, during this episode. <laughs> but I think now, um, you know, times have changed. I think maybe also, um, um, a few weeks ago, we talked about She's a Woman and how She's a Woman has one of the worst rhymes uh, or one of the worst couplets in the history of, of, of good music. And I'm going to caveat that with good music. Bearing in mind that he rhymes tracks with sax and jubilee with jamboree. Jazz and fast? What's going on there? What is going um, on there? And, and it's just, ooh, I've got no kick against modern jazz unless they try to play it too darn faz. <laughs> I'm going to go with that. It's, but I realize, it's not I a realize perfect couplet. I realise here that, that my... See, I, I think it's a perfectly it's a perfectly fine performance of a song that they know really, really well and they could knock out fairly quickly. Um, I just don't think it's that good a song. I think it doesn't make the hair stand up on the back of your neck in the way that a really raw performance of um, Memphis, Tennessee or Johnny Be Good would, for example, which are just phenomenal songs. You know, even Roll Over Beethoven really has some zip and, and punch to it. That's fair enough. But I think rock and roll music is just kind of evidence that Chuck Berry's canon is is a little toy cannon, not a large artillery cannon. I Excellent think. work, sir. Excellent work. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what the listener comes here for. Yeah. yeah, 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 no, no arguments there. Uh, yeah, it's it's one of those songs that I think. I mean, there's only three chords in this song, so you know, in, in just purely in terms of the music, it's incredibly simple. It's E seventh, A seventh, and D seventh. So, uh, I mean, almost anybody who's ever picked up a guitar can can play this song and knock it out. Um, and that might also, uh, to some extent, account for its popularity because just literally anybody can play it. Yeah. You know, it's 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 incredibly straightforward. Yeah. Every Everyone knows it. You can you could you know, play it at parties even now, and you know the oh right yeah okay fine, um, and that probably helps to push its um, popularity a wee bit as well. It's another one though that its simplicity is its strength, and trying to put too much into it undermines it. So if you the, the, I don't know if you listen to the Beach Boys cover of this, <laughs> it's yeah, it's yeah. truly awful, and yet in some ways I actually like it more than the Beatles version because at least it sounds like they've invested something of their own personality into it. Um, whereas the Beatles version sounds pretty straightforward, just just thrashed away, you know. I see your Beach Boys cover, and I raise you, Ario Speedwagon. 
<laughs> don't raise me up against Freak Wagon. Please, don't do absolutely it. Absolutely horrendous. Oh, it's um, awful. It's so very, yeah. very bad. But, but I'm, I'm going to... Okay, right. So it's a bit unfair to kick Ario Speedwagon because, you know, there are lots of other people that have done that. It's even a bit unfair to kick the Beach Boys in the 70s because, you know what, anyone could do that. The cover version that irritated me the most is actually one that, that I, I would have owned. I no longer do. It's on the B-side of a Manic single from 2000 um, called The Mass... The, again, an awful rhyme. The Masses Against the Class... Is, anyway, um, that on the B-side, they, they covered rock and roll music, but they seemed to cover it as though status quo were playing it. And it's worth listening because of that. And I can't work out if it's a massive joke I don't know the the manics that well to know whether or not that would have been a massive joke or whether because they were so earnest about the way that they were recording it that it just sounded like a status quo cover of Chuck Berry. Um, it's um, I mean it's it's an absolute dream. But you know again this this is the kind of this is the kind of thing that. Um, I'm going to blame the Beatles for. Let's say the Beatles started all of this, that the Beatles were one of the early bands to cover on record rock and roll music. And and maybe that's where the conversation about the kind of songs the Stones were covering, the kind of songs the Beatles were covering is is worth thinking about because the, the Stones were in general doing more, um, sorry, authentic, blues and and rock covers you know by um artists perhaps you might not have heard of in fact many you may still not have heard of you know they they chose the song and, and i wonder if with rock and roll music the beatles chose the artist oh yeah we do chuck berry covers you know i know we do the, the girl groups but we also do chuck berry and we do cole perkins and we'll also do buddy holly so you know we'll throw this one in they did do, by the way, earlier in 64, they did do a cover of Johnny Be Good on a, a BBC uh, radio programme. And it's really good. I like it. Um, but then maybe Johnny Be Good is a song that's so bulletproof, I even like the Michael J. Fox version from Back to the Future. Who knows? I can't answer that question. I can tell you that um, another hasty Bing has informed me that Status Quo have indeed covered rock and roll music, as apparently every single human being on planet Earth seems to have done yeah, at this it's not point. A surprise. Um, yeah. Um, a search, Bing. Um, oh dear. Other um, search engines are available. Other, well, yeah, whatever. We're not on the BBC. Um, a search has also suggested that there is only one. Um, current member of Shibody Wadi in the band, and that is the wonderfully named Romeo Challenger. <laughs> Excellent. I do realise that this is going to be a short episode, folks. You're probably relieved to hear. We've only been going about 19 minutes, and I think I've maybe, let's just say I've spoken for about half of that. I realise probably only about 30 seconds actually talking about the Beatles. So apologies, folks. I'll make up for it on the next episode. I promise. Uh, it's okay. I don't think it's the episode that we've spoken about the song the least on thus far. So I think we're actually slightly ahead of the game. I think so far I'm a no. It wasn't. I'm a loser. I can't remember what it was. Now, um, maybe it was. I'm a loser. There's definitely an episode where we basically just didn't talk about the song, and we have actually managed to talk about this song. So I I feel we've managed 
pretty good for a pretty uh, kind of cover. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm done. All right. We can mention their live set. They play it a lot live. It's fun. Blah blah blah. So on and so forth. But but if you listen to this podcast, you probably knew that. Exactly, and we don't want to be the sort of podcast that just recites information that everybody's already aware of. You come here for bad puns and Ringo praise, and that's pretty much it. Uh, although that said, we have done various searching, uh, uh, searching for things on various search engines in this episode, and then relayed that information straight from the internet. Fantastic. Well, I never said that we were consistent. Right, let's give this a score <laughs> and put it to bed. Five, uh, what do you want to give it? Five. 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 Yeah, yeah, I, I'm fine with that as well. Five. Right, we I are... even extend that discussion. Completely <laughs> bothered. On that I, don't really I don't really know what else to say. Bang average. For the exactly. Beatles. <laughs> Lovely. Right. Um, you can really get a hold of us. That's a better cover version. Uh, you can contact us by email. We are Beatlesstuffology at gmail.com. Uh, we are on Twitter at Beatles underscore ology. Uh, we are Beatlesstuffology on Instagram. You can find my blog at www.jgmacquarie.scott. And you can read Andrew's writing at www.stuffology.co.uk. Please also uh, check out my other podcast, which is Talking Trek to You, where a noob and an expert go through the original series of Star Trek episode by episode. Please like, rate and review us on whatever podcast you're using so that more people can find this show. And people are finding the show and we are very grateful to all our listeners who have joined us. Uh, Please keep doing so. Uh, Next episode, uh, I'll follow the sun. But until then, keep listening.